take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 14. This is our fifth in our series of messages on on worship, and um, this morning, really, I, I feel like everything has been building up to today. And so this sermon and then the Bible study that follows this morning really bring us to two climactic calls to worship in the New Testament. So in some ways, we've just been laying the foundation for this morning. So we'll look at one of those in this message now, and then we'll come back to a second uh, kind of like mountain peak conclusion or call to worship in the New Testament. We'll do that in the, in the Bible study hour at, at 11 o'clock. So we have learned that worship is the right response of man to God. It is giving to God what he is worthy of because of who he is and what he has done as both creator and redeemer. And we just express that in a number of different songs and parts of those songs this morning. All people... Owe to God a, a worthy response. Things like fear, obedience, loyalty, faith, and love. And that is a very unpopular message today. When most people have been taught for their whole life that they don't owe anything to anybody. I'm in charge of my own life and I don't owe you anything. And so it's very countercultural to say, you owe your whole life to God. Even though that is actually the very best thing that could happen to someone, to give their whole life to God. Yet the human heart hates it because the natural desire of the human heart is to do whatever I feel like and worship whatever I want to worship. And as a result, no one gives to God what he deserves All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. And so all people are rightfully guilty before God and headed to eternal punishment because we refuse to give God what he deserves from our lives. That is a very hopeless situation to be in. And you can deal with that hopelessness in one of two ways. You will deal with it in one of two ways. You will either deny it In other words, you'll say, I don't believe it. I believe that I'm in charge, that I can do anything I want, that I'll never be accountable to anyone, that I don't owe God anything. So you can deny it, or you will humble your heart to receive God's message of hope. Because God himself provided rescue, and he provided restoration for sinners who have not given him what he deserved. He could have left us alone in our sin, in our judgment. But we saw last Sunday, John 4, instead, he came to seek worshipers. Not to find cool people who were already worshiping him, but to come to people who did not know God and were not worshiping God and make them into born-again worshipers. And so through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, people who once worshiped everything except God can now worship him. And what we saw in John 4 is you worship him in spirit and in truth. And in both cases, what that's saying is you worship God through Jesus. Because to worship him in spirit is to worship as someone who has been born again by God's spirit. 
the death and resurrection of Jesus make eternal life available so that that which is dead flesh, spiritually dead, can become spirit, can become alive in God through Christ so that you have a living relationship with, with God. And then to worship in truth is to worship through the truth, Jesus Christ, who revealed who God really is, who we really are, and how we can be restored to God. And so the, the point that Jesus was making to that woman at the well in Samaria was that the place of worship isn't Mount Gerizim over there or Jerusalem and the Temple Mount over here. The place of worship today is Jesus. He is the true temple and all true worshipers come to God through him. So this morning, we're going to focus on how to respond to that message of the hope that is in Jesus. And I'll just tell you the conclusion now. The conclusion's simple and the conclusion's um, massive. It is give your whole life to God. So last week we considered Samaritans who were partly Jewish. This week we're considering citizens of the Gentile cities of Lystra and Athens and Rome. You can kind of organize the whole sermon around those three Gentile cities. This was like the Wild West. And sometimes the responses to Jesus in these places were pretty crazy. And that's definitely what we're going to see as we begin here in Acts 14 in Lystra. The Apostle Paul came to Lystra. This is the, the heart of modern-day Turkey. He was on one of his missionary journeys seeking to tell people about Jesus and then gather them together into, into local churches. So he, in Lystra, he's probably in the market or in the town plaza, and he's telling people about Jesus. And in the process, he heals a man who had been crippled from birth. Now, obviously, Paul healed that man in the name of Jesus to support the teaching about Jesus. But the crowds totally missed that part. And here's what happened. So at, look with me, Acts 14 uh, and verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Now, from our modern perspective, I'm sure that moment seems really strange. And yet, it's not so strange if we ask this question, do people tend to worship people? How about athletes? How about musicians? How about actors and actresses? Maybe even the occasional politician, I don't know. How about Instagram and YouTube and TikTok celebrities? How about gamers? We don't bring oxen to these people. But we bring them other things, starting with an immense amount of our time and our attention and our interest and sometimes money. Just a week ago, one of our teenagers said to me something like, it's amazing how much you can get caught up in the life of somebody on YouTube. And you're just fixed. You're just, your attention is given to what's going on with them. What are they doing next? What's going on in their life? And of course, it's not always someone that we just know from a distance like that. Sometimes it's a boyfriend. It's a girlfriend. It can even be a new baby 
that becomes almost like our God. We're talking about a person to whom we turn our entire focus to that person because they really seem to make our life seem interesting and meaningful and even just happy. Now, I understand, we know, that other people can be a great blessing. A spouse, a baby, a musician, even a really creative YouTuber can bring some joys and some blessings. But what we're talking about is when we look to other people to do for us what only God can actually do. When we devote our time and our attention and our hopes and our money to them instead of to God. So yes, people worship people all the time. And it's idolatry. Because it's a counterfeit of who God is for us. Even the most important people in your life, like a spouse or a child, can never be your God. And you cannot try to make them your God. Through Christ, God. So it's this vertical relationship that makes our life much more interesting and happy and meaningful. When we're devoted to God, But if we devote ourselves to trying to find those things horizontally in other people, expecting them to be for us what only God can be for us, it will always eventually come up dry. And it's offensive to God. So, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. All right, so a couple things we see here. First, there's an emphasis on God as creator, but we've seen that over and over again, right? That's the foundational starting point for true worship. What's new here for us in our study is that Paul tells them in verse 17, that they should worship God because of his goodness in all of creation. This is very interesting because when we talk about God as creator, we usually talk about his rights as ruler and owner. And that's true. But what Paul is saying is that when you look around and see anything good in creation, you should say, oh, There must be a very good creator who is worthy of my worship. Like James 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 1 Timothy 6, 17, he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So what I'm saying is we often talk about how everything that's wrong with creation because of sin, and that's true. Yet it ought to be remarkable to us how how much good there still is in creation despite sin which is just because God is merciful and God is good. And every one of those things is a sign that says to us, you should worship the good creator. 
Do you see why it's so offensive to God when we take his good gifts and say, oh, I don't need God anymore. I've got this girlfriend. Oh, I don't need God anymore. I've got this that makes me feel happy and meaningful. When he gave the good gift. And so it's such a fascinating message Paul is giving to them, to these people who know nothing about God. He's saying he deserves your worship because there is so much good in your life that comes from the creator. When you find a really fun and interesting YouTube channel, you should say, wow, God is so good to still allow us to enjoy things like this. When you see the spring crops growing or you feel your soft pillow or you enjoy a a fun conversation with a friend or you visit a beautiful national park or you look in the eyes of your adorable pet or you watch a quiet sunrise or you play a fun sport or you use your cool phone, you should say, God is so good. He ought to have all of my worship because he's so good to sinners like us. So the way it's worded on your handout, Lystra, point one, don't worship men or the accomplishments of men or the things created by men. Don't worship men, worship the giver of every good gift. All right, next, Acts 17. So now our next Gentile city is Athens. And once again, Paul focuses on worship. Acts 17, verse 16 Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So there's the principle we've seen so many times. Everybody worships. Everybody's always worshiping. Athens was full of idols. And that provoked Paul's spirit because God is worthy of worship, not idols. So let's go down to verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Stop trying to worship God by taking care of him. And the moment that's burned in my memory about this is, is in, in, a, in a temple in Taiwan, and there are the moon pies, the little you know, snack cakes brought to God. Stop trying to take care of God by bringing him snacks and sugar. After all, this moment's breath was given to you by him, for he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He doesn't need your temples. He doesn't need your gifts to provide for him. You can't bribe God to get what you want. What you do with God is you fall before him. You fear him. You worship him. So skip down to verse 30 now. Acts 16, 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So you see there that Paul preached Jesus as the one who rose from the dead, and on a fixed day, he is going to judge the world. And so the end of verse 30 says, all people everywhere are commanded to repent. Not just give Jesus a try, but repent. Say to God, I was wrong. I have been an idolater. I have not given you what you deserve. I am guilty. And I know that Jesus has risen and he's coming again. And there's a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, I, on that day of Judgment, I'll deserve it. I'll deserve his judgment. I am sorry. You have to have that attitude of repentance before you can turn to Jesus in faith and in hope. All right, that's Athens. Now, let's go to our third Gentile city, which is Rome. So turn to Romans chapter 1. Paul does get to Rome in the book of Acts. Um, but he gets there as a prisoner. So we're going to go instead to the letter that he wrote to the Romans. And uh, this is very simple. The heading you see says, Rome, believe, repent, and present. Worship through faith, repentance, and the presentation of yourself to God. So first of all, worship through faith. Romans chapter 1 Look with me at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Then verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so we've already learned this, that faith is the foundational response of true worship. What I want to show you here in Romans 1 is that this is actually referred to as worship. Hearing God's promises and believing them is worship. It's 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 referred to as that in verse 5. And this is one of those places where we don't have the English word worship, but we definitely have the concept of worship. Romans 1, verse 5, through whom, that's through Jesus Christ our Lord, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So you see there's that phrase, the obedience of faith. Faith is the first act of obedience, hearing God's word and believing it. And then the next phrase says, for the sake of his name. That phrase is talking about God's name being honored as it should be. When you take that first step of of obedience by believing God's promises, you are beginning to worship because you are saying, God is worthy of my trust. He is worthy of my faith in what he says. So we worship through faith. Then faith is like one side of a coin and the other side is is repentance. So number two, we worship 
through repentance. Now, the call to repentance comes in Romans chapter 2. But first in chapter 1, we are reminded of our false worship. Romans 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Worship the creature rather than the creator. There's a similar idea to that back in verse 21 where it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. So this is describing all of us. You could say that these, this section in Romans 1 is kind of like a commentary on the fall in Genesis 3. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have not worshiped God. We have not given him his due. And so there has to be not just faith, but together with that faith, there has to be repentance. So Romans 2, now Romans chapter 2 and verse 3 Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That phrase, God's kindness, might remind us of Lystra, right? When Paul talked about God's goodness, look at God's mercy that lets us live and laugh and love, though we have worshiped creation instead of creator. Does that mean he will not judge us? No. Remember Athens? He has fixed a day of judgment. So God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Remember, repentance is that attitude that says, I was wrong, God. I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I have worshipped everything except you. I have not given you your due. I am sorry. Faith and repentance have to go together to say, I think I'll give Jesus a try. See if he makes my life better is not saving faith. Saving faith is joined together with, I have sinned. I have not given God what he is worthy of. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance and faith. And both faith and repentance are worship. They're actually the foundations of worship. But faith and repentance aren't the end of our response to Jesus. They're just the beginning of a life of worship. And this is directly stated by the Apostle Paul in the next verses in Romans chapter 2. It's interesting because this is a kind of like commonly ignored section of Romans. But right after he says that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance, look at Romans 2 verse 6, verses 6 through 10. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing Seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory at, 
but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Back to verse 7, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. What Paul is saying here is that faith and repentance result in a new direction for a person's life. Now, someone could read those verses without any context, and they could think that Paul means that we earn eternal life by our well-doing. But Paul makes it very clear that is not what he means. We'll see that in just a minute. But what he does mean is that faith and repentance result in a new direction for a person's life. Or in our worship series, what we're saying is faith and repentance lead to the presentation of our lives to God. And so that leads to our final key word from Romans, which is present or presentation. Faith and repentance lead to the presentation of our lives to God. So we're, we're going to go to Romans 12, but on the way, let's stop by Romans 3, 6, and 10 to, to make sure we know that we don't save ourselves by our life of worship. So first of all, Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And over to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So those passages all make it very clear that we are saved through faith in Christ alone, not because our life changes, not because we present our whole life to God. And yet, faith and repentance are the beginning of a life of worship. So now Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So here we have what I would consider to be one of the two great New Testament calls to worship. There are many others, but I think these are two uh, of the, the highest points that we'll look at now and then in Bible study. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I could paraphrase that like this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, based upon all the mercies of God that you've learned about in this letter, I appeal to you to come present to God the sacrifice of your whole self. This sacrifice is pleasing to God as a living sacrifice set apart for God alone. And such a sacrifice is worship. It is your thoughtful, reasonable response to all that God has done for you. And to worship like this, you must not be shaped by the way that this present evil age thinks, but rather let your mind be transformed by God so that it thinks and chooses in entirely new ways, testing and discerning the will of God. You can see there in verse 1 that Paul looks back on the first 11 chapters of Romans and he seems to sum it all up with the word mercy or mercies. And that word includes the ideas of compassion, kindness, and love. Romans displays God's plans and purposes in salvation, showing God's love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The free gift of God is eternal life. And there are several summary statements along the way that are like different mountain peaks in the range of Romans. Like Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or Romans 8.39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or if you look back right before Romans 12.1, that Romans 11.33-36, to Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So how could you give God that glory that he deserves for all those mercies? And the answer in Romans 12.1 is present. The presentation of yourself. Respond to all of God's greatness and all of God's mercies by giving him your whole life. This is full biblical worship. Believe, repent, present. And can we just pause there and note how far we've come from the idea that worship is music or, a, or Christian music or a particular kind of Christian music or a, a type of church service or a, a set of uh, liturgical motions that you go through. Can you see how far we've come from that very narrow view of worship? to understanding that worship is the right response of man to God, giving him what he is due as creator and redeemer, which means believe, repent, and present your whole life to him. Most Bible teachers agree, like Douglas Moo writes, that when Paul uses the word bodies here in verse 1, he probably intends to refer to the entire person 
I mean, we need to dedicate our bodies literally to God, of course. But Paul's not just talking about flesh and bones. He's talking about giving all of yourself to God. And the word present there in verse 1 is sacrificial language. It's worship language. You're supposed to picture yourself coming to God with something to present to him. Not because he needs anything, but because you love him, because you want to respond to him. And the gift you bring is your whole life. You make your whole self available to God and for God. You're saying to God, here, God, I am yours. I am not my own. I'm not my own Lord any longer. You're my Lord. My life is not presented to sin any longer. Romans chapter 6. It's presented to you. My life is not for me any longer. It's for you. So here, take me, have me 24-7, 365. Another word for this is dedication. Worship God by dedicating your life to him. Now, when do we do that? Well, it's, it starts at the very beginning of your Christian journey. That's why many people talk about salvation as giving your life to Christ. Because when he opens our eyes to see sin and to see the gospel, we naturally, from our born-again heart, want to give our life to him. Like anybody truly born again has a desire to just give their whole life to Jesus. But at the beginning, we may not understand very much about what that means. We haven't gone through the wars and battles against the world and flesh and devil yet. We don't have much experience at serving others instead of serving ourselves, getting out of our comfort zone, getting involved in a local church. We haven't, you know, at the beginning, we don't know about that dedication to God through those things. We don't know how to walk with God each day. So when, I think when we're first saved, we, we do give our whole life to Christ. And we definitely want to give our whole life to Christ, but we just don't know a whole lot about what that's going to look like in daily life. And so along the way, we find that we very often need to renew that dedication to God. And I want to just talk through some of the just examples of situations in which that can happen. That can happen in situations in which God just shows us more of how good or how great he is. You're just reading your Bible, studying your Bible. You're listening to a sermon. And as you are seeing again, the glory of God, you're just like, here, take my life. Just want you to have all of me. It can be in the middle of a song where the, the, the biblical text of that song is just lifting your heart to the glory of God. And so you get to the chorus and you say, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. And it's like written right there in the song, but your heart says, yes, that's what I want to say right now. So it can happen in those kind of moments. Some of the moments of dedication come because we have fallen into sin. We have fallen into idolatry. We have gratified our flesh. We have chased the world. And then we realize by God's spirit, wow, I, I am not living as a holy sacrifice set apart for God. I am worshiping other things. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Here, I want you to have my whole life. I don't want to go back to Romans 6 and give myself to sin any longer. Here, take my life. We might also face new moments of dedication because of choices we have to make. Should I move or not move? Should I take the caregiving responsibility for a parent? 
Should I start a dating relationship? Should I end a dating relationship? Should I accept a job? Should I decline a job? In life's choices, we again find ourselves saying, okay, here, God, my, my whole life is yours. I just want whatever you want. It might, I don't know, this might sound small to you. It wasn't small to me. It's a moment that's really burned into my memory. And I'm sure I've told you about it before, but I can still remember exactly where I was kneeling on the floor in my dormitory as a college student, wrestling with my willingness to go back to Utah to pastor or whatever, if God wanted me to. I grew up in Salt Lake City. I love Utah. Um, It's great. But ministry in Utah is a different ballgame. And I knew that very well, having grown up there and being a pastor's son. And so the thought that God might want me to go back and pastor in Utah was more than I could bear. (laughs) My heart just said, no. Anywhere in the world, except there, God. (laughs) And I just knew that that I had to give my whole life to God. And I was there. I was the only person in the room on my knees. It was a study lounge in our dorm. And I was just in agony over that. I didn't know that God had California for me, not Utah. I just knew that God deserved my whole life. And I did. I did give in to him that day and said, Lord, it's whatever, wherever you want me, I, I will go. There are also moments of dedication to be made when we go through seasons of change in life. Some of you are in those seasons. It's a new phase. It's a new season. Different things have changed, and you realize that you've been in that transition kind of grasping back for yourself more of your life. And you need to say anew, no, God, in this new season of my life, everything is yours. My whole life is yours. Then there are also oftentimes moments of dedication because of suffering. We face a financial crisis, we get a bad health diagnosis, a relationship falls apart, and again, we find ourselves saying to God, okay, Lord, here, in the middle of this pain, my whole life is yours. I appreciate the little phrase from Ann Voskamp, just two words. She uses the phrase, live given. Live given. Live every day given to God. And thus, if you're given to God, you're then living given to others as well. One thing that's interesting in Romans chapter 12 is that if you wonder, well, then what does that look like? What does this life given to God in worship look like? Paul jumps right into it (laughs) because the rest of Romans chapter 12 and into Romans 13 is so, so very practical. And we don't have time to look at that right now, but he just jumps into everyday life because that's actually where worship is happens at its center point. All of life dedicated to God. So this, this whole life given to God is what? What does he call it in the last word of verse one? This whole life given to God is worship, right? This is worship. Now the phrase here in the ESV says your spiritual worship You see there a footnote that says, or your rational service. There's a lot of discussion about how to translate that phrase and several good ways to translate it. I tend to think 
uh, my, my, my preference, I guess, for lack of a better word, is that the first word there is, means something along the lines of, uh, it could be translated, uh, rational, reasonable. What, the word that really helps me is thoughtful. I think that what Paul's saying is this worship, this giving your whole life to God, is thoughtful. It comes from you seeing the mercies of God and concluding based on the mercies of God, this is what I should do. Reasonable. is That's why the word reasonable can also work there. Based on who God is and based on what God has done, what I ought to do is give my whole life to him. Now, again, do you see how different this is from a view of worship that pictures worship as like this kind of ecstatic experience that happens to you when you're not even sure what happened? Like, I just felt this thing, and I don't even know what it was. Paul's saying, that's not, that's not really the heart of worship. The heart of worship is God opened your eyes to see the gospel and to see Jesus and to see grace and to see the goodness of God. And you say, wow, you know what? There's only one bright conclusion about that. Here, take my whole life. Matthew Henry said, there is all the reason in the world for it and no good reason can possibly be produced against it. To give your whole life to God is a thoughtful, reasonable worship. By the way, this is not just in contrast to like an ex- thinking of worship as an ecstatic experience. It's also in contrast to thinking of worship as a set of rituals you just go through, even though you may not know what they mean or care what they mean, but you did the worship thing. That's not thoughtful, reasonable worship either. Worship is a thoughtful, reasonable response to all of God's mercies and promises that says, here, God, take my whole life. It's yours. Or as we sang this morning, were the whole realm of nature mine. That would be a present far too small. But you don't get to give him the whole realm of nature. He doesn't need the whole realm of nature from you. He already has it. You get to give him you. So, where are you at in terms of the dedication of your whole self to God? We're five weeks in, and this is the conclusion of five weeks of sermons. They all land right now. Where are you at in terms of the dedication of your whole life to God? Maybe you're at the very beginning. You've not ever come to Christ in faith and repentance, and so of course you haven't given your whole self to God yet. And if you're seeing that this morning, that is awesome. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to humble yourself before God and confess your sin to him and receive what he's done for you in Christ. And as you do that, you will want to give your whole life to him. So if that's where you're at today, um, come talk to me right afterwards. And I would so much love to help you. You don't have to come talk to me. You can just go talk to God. But I'm saying I would love to, love to help you with that. Now, maybe you have repented and believed the gospel, but maybe you didn't fully realize until this morning that you need to dedicate your whole life to God. Some people learn about Jesus in a setting in which it is kind of like, you know, why don't you just give Jesus a try and see how it goes? And they've never actually been told that Jesus is worthy of your whole life. And so maybe you're hearing that this morning and you didn't even fully realize that. And you're just thinking, oh yeah, that is what I want. I didn't really realize it before, but I do want God to have my whole life. And so you just need to pray and talk to the Lord and say, here, have me, have all of me. And then 
start working through, what would that mean? That's the big question, right? What would it mean for God to have all of you? But maybe for others of you, you've already given your whole life to God, but you're at at another one of those points where you need to renew that dedication to Him. So maybe it's some choices that you're wrestling through right now. Maybe it's some things you've been resisting. It's like my, my story. Maybe it's because of sin. Maybe it's idols you've been turning toward. Maybe it's because of suffering. Maybe you're in a season of change. But what I know is this. Every single person here could come and worship God by bringing your whole self to Him this morning. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the several thousandth time. It would still be worship and mean just as much. And every single person here could come worship God in that way this morning. So I'm going to give you uh, a kind of extended time to pray about that. Um, I'm going to ask Eric to, to play for us. And uh, so I'm going to give you several minutes here to talk to the Lord about the giving of your whole life to him, where you're at with that right now, and what that would mean. So you just pray and talk to the Lord. I'll pray and talk to the Lord while Eric uh, plays, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Father, we uh, look to your grace to undergird the answers to all of these prayers that have just been prayed. We know that we do not have the, the strength apart from you to live given. But as we have come and prayed in humility and independence, we have great hope in your grace that it is sufficient for us, that you are able to do that work in us both to will and to work for your good pleasure. So by your grace, through Christ, please answer these prayers of your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.